IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, we've talked to so many leaders with big visions, big ideas, but from the community level to a global level, what are you hearing from your clients as far as the breadth and scope of vision? You mentioned this before we started, and I was, so I've been kind of noodling on this thought. You know, it's twofold, right? I think we're at a point in history, and we've never been here before, that we need radical visionaries who are willing to think beyond the possible and then finding teams who can innovate into that. We also are finding a lot of leaders bored with the norm, right? The games are too small, so they burn out, they're not excited. So I'm working with a lot of my clients to start thinking bigger, like just monetary success is a very small game when it comes right down to it. So they're finding themselves really bored and uninspired. But then secondly, having the right team so you can, you know, you can't eat, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, (laughs) right? So you have to develop your protocols in business to be able to take that one bite at a time, but lay a foundation for that radical vision. And I think this is the time of radical visionaries. We don't have time. So I mm-hmm. think that's the, the difference in the where we are today, right? Yeah. We can't be normal. Well, certainly on that topic, we're glad to have our guest today who's going to talk about some radical vision. Kirsten, our guest you know, got probably bored or saw a bigger challenge because <laughs> he was only dealing with financial crime prevention and regulatory compliance. Only. So, oh, uh, hell, did you uh, come after the company I was in? <laughs> stock exchange level. And it said, this is not big enough. I'm going to leave that and I'm going to go to clean up the oceans of plastic. Our guest is Thomas Ritag. Thomas is the head of business development at the Ocean Cleanup. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, uh, Kirsten. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. Well, we're just so fascinated, first of all, with this vision of just cleaning up the ocean and starting at the river level. And we want you to explain a little bit about the mechanisms of that. But I I think we just start with the vision and your leadership vision and why you decided to join an organization like this. I think there's a a bit of an introduction or a story behind that, because uh, my first involvement with environmental impact was when I developed and launched an exchange in carbon emission rights, carbon credits. This was an exchange that operated under the Kyoto Protocol. And basically, you're you're cleaning up dirty air. You're basically covering for what's called the abusive consequences of economic uh, development. But given the fact that I was really uh, intrigued by trading mechanisms and how financial markets could democratize wealth, I thought if we could share the burden of the consequences of global warming or the, share the burden of the cost for global warming, that would be a good thing. Uh, however, the market under the Kyoto Boat Protocol was flooded with financial crime. And basically, in my opinion, it took away the basis of trust in the, uh, in the carbon credit itself. So I could have been really disappointed and be sad about the opportunity failing uh, because of financial crime. But there was 
one incident that really changed my mind, and that was on this day that all the European exchanges in carbon credits were raided by the national security agencies, and they investigated the amount of criminal transactions that were facilitated by those exchanges. Our exchange proved to be the one where they could not find any criminal transaction. And I was responsible for financial crime prevention and regulatory compliance and risk management in that perspective. So apparently I must have done something good. Yes. And that, and, that made and, me and think. And it must have been rewarding. At the same time, I, I hear what you're saying about being demoralizing. Here, here you had a you know, relatively high purpose kind of exchange, you know, sustainability and you know, goals of like that on your mind. And yet there was this deceit going on. Yeah, it was really difficult to think about what to do next. Do I want to be at the forefront of sustainability development or should I be uh, at the back supporting others that want to make the world a more sustainable place to build in and catch their back, you know, make sure that they could develop whatever they're good at. And I'd be in the back office making sure that nobody steals away their intentions or nobody takes advantage of their sometimes uh, naive wishes to make the world a better place. And I chose the latter. And for me, that's very fulfilling. I think in life, you might have one of three purposes. You're either the creator, you're the facilitator, or you're the destroyer of evil. Now, I'm neither of them, but I'm closest to the destroyer of evil. I don't want to... I'm not willing to make the sacrifices that come with taking on that role. But my purpose in life is to provide others with the means to protect them from evil. You know, you used a word, and I really want to pick up on this because this goes back to being a radical visionary, right? Um, naive. You use that yeah. word, right? Like naive idealists, people who really see the possibility for a better world, whether it be yeah. peace, social justice, clean environment, you pick your pick your choice of advocacy, yeah. right? Um, and many visionaries are usually asked to normalize their vision out of naivety, when in reality, what they're able to see is possibility. Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Oh, I absolutely uh, support that vision. And I think we should let the naives be naive and let them follow and chase whatever opportunity they have recognized for themselves, for their community and for the world. But we also need people uh, to cover their backs, to support them, to make sure that whatever they initiate lands in fruitful ground and whatever they overlooked is picked up by somebody else so yeah, that they I can be the best that. version of, yeah. Yeah, so that. strong. And, and not leading by title, you know, uh, but leading by purpose. Well, tell us a little bit about the ocean cleanup and uh, the vision there and how it's going. Well, um, uh, how it's going and the vision there. The vision originally came from the founder, Boyan Slot. And when he delivered his first TED Talk about seven years ago, he had exactly that same, he saw exactly that same opportunity. He knew it was going to be a big task. He knew it in, um, involved a lot of problems and issues that nobody had ever dealt with before. And yet he asked himself the question, what if? What if it's possible? What if we just start, take it one step at a time, and we could get rid of all the legacy plastic that is out there in the ocean? And he started a journey that involved a very scientific and technology-driven approach to first um, identify the problem, 
uh, run a few uh, pilot projects to see what technology and what approach would serve the solution best. And he then came to a point where the technology proof of concept um, was ended with good results and he is ready to scale. But if you look at the value chain of plastic pollution, the legacy plastic in the Great Pacific garbage patch is basically the far end of the value stream. Before that, it's brought there through rivers. Before that, it was caused by failing waste management infrastructure. And before that, it's urbanization, where a lot of people living together causing the plastic pollution. And before that, obviously, there's consumption and production, but that's too far away. He distinctly said we should focus on marine technology to take out the legacy plastic, but also try to close the tap one step before that, and that's rivers. And we are now um, in um, deploying river technology solutions that catch plastic or catch trash, trash before it reaches the ocean. So to not only take out the legacy plastic, but also make sure that the tap is closed and it doesn't continue to grow. Such a large scope. Couldn't help it. I mean, I'm not, uh, I am a naive leader. So I also believe in the, in the bigger, the better of the idea. But now you're in operations, logistics, you know, you're thinking about how to make this work now and develop and uh, maybe attract other people to the cause. Some people would look at this and say, but my gosh, Thomas, how many rivers, you know, how, how much plastic, this, the scope of this issue, where do we begin? How could we possibly tackle this? Well, um, one step at a time. Indeed, there's about 30,000 to 35,000 rivers in the world. But if you look at them closely, there's about uh, a thousand rivers that are responsible for 80 to 85% of the plastic that reaches the ocean. Fascinating. And if you look at the geography of those thousand rivers, most of them are located in Southeast Asia and Central and South America. So that already reduces uh, the problem to some very specific geographic areas. That's fascinating and, because I would have said the United States would have been the biggest problem. So that was a that's a fascinating statistics that you just mentioned. And what I'm present to as you're speaking to this is this kind of a combination of um, technology, intellect, thought leadership, right? There's so many pieces that we train in in leadership development that are coming together at, at one place. How do you cultivate a team dynamic where you can bring all of that intellectual property to the forefront? Um, I think uh, you're absolutely right in saying that it requires a lot of intellectual capability. Uh, it's a multidisciplinary team that um, should be capable of solving it. Um, and we're learning a lot of new stuff uh, on a day on a daily basis. So, and the, I think the most important uh, precondition uh, to actually uh, deliver all that promise is psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And the organization itself is spending a lot of time and effort to facilitate that psychological safety. People are encouraged to speak up. 
We have a lot of group meetings. We share a lot of the knowledge internally and everyone's invited to chip in their, their two cents. So it's, it's a really enthusiastic and energizing environment to be in. And I would presume that it attracts people that believe in this cause so much, you know, the harnessing, I guess, that energy uh, is a good yeah. leadership challenge too, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Because people are really attracted uh, to the mission and they are really motivated by delivering impact. But that's only part of the story. If you, are, if, if you have that strong a motivator, then sometimes it also reduces the broadness of your vision. You intend to become convinced of a certain way of working. Uh, it's something that you really believe in as an individual. And in, in discussions, you sometimes find yourself trying to let others believe in your ver version of the truth. Mm -hmm. And that basically raises the difference between, uh, and this is something that I've said before, do you live the life of your knowledge or do you live by the knowledge of life? Living God, the life I, of... I'm going to coin that. I'm taking that one. Sorry. I hope you don't mind. It's <laughs> no, <really> no. <laughs> that, that you're, you're free to do so. Um, because if you live the life of your knowledge, it, you really are trying to picture the world uh, within your context, uh, wanting to basically put everything in a box of what you already know. And that does not uh, stimulate a very open-minded uh, discussion. If, if, but if you're open and oblivious to what you already know and really curious to find out what you don't know, it really changes the nature of the discussion. You know, I, I love this and I, I want to bring this up. I um, am a one of my many schoolings because I'm always in school, but I am a philosophy major, right? And one of the the, the shifts that took place in some of the earlier centuries is that science and philosophy separated, right? And so now science has narrowed into proving its point rather than continuing an investigation for the unknown, for the possibility that lies beyond the truth they think they know. Yeah. How do you see, because it sounds like you're implementing a new philosophy, right? Because I think most people that do it, that serves our ego to keep us yeah. in a container of knowing what we know and sticking to that. And I'm guilty of it. So I'm not going to say, you know, it's a continual egoic death. How do you really teach people to embrace that? Because it's inherent in society that we don't. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult one. I think it's, it's primarily a mindset. I, I grew up not with a lot of wealth, but with a mindset of abundance thinking that or believing that if you, uh, if you don't think about money, you're rich. If you don't think about uh, shortage, you're automatically living in abundance. Um, and that mindset helps you to never feel limited by whatever it is that you think you need, being it ego, being power, being influence. And if you do not have that as a precondition, you would always be open to everything another person has to offer, uh, be it knowledge, be it energy, being effort. Um, for one, I, I, I decided never to turn down a help or advice that's being offered. I always accept it no matter what. And then it's up to me to decide what to do with it. 
but I would never turn anybody down that offers help or that offers another opinion. And I think it's not always obvious that that's my approach because sometimes I myself become strongly opinionated, but it always helps me to find ways um, out of uh, conflict and out of contradictive uh, opinions. Well, and Thomas, uh, in addition to your work, you also are a lecturer and a professor part-time at a management academy. We're often curious, Kirsten and I, about what you're hearing and sensing from future leaders. So the leaders that you're teaching in the lecture hall, what is your sense of the future and future leaders coming up? I think, uh, Kirsten, you've just mentioned uh, you being a philosophy major. And I think the old Greek uh, philosophers always uh, encourage people to find a balance between logos, ethos, and pathos. And when, when I grew up and started my professional career in the 80s and the 90s of the last century, it was all about uh, logos. It was all about rationalization. And I find that uh, the new upcoming leadership has been educated in a much more balanced way. They, they are, um, are stimulated uh, to be honest about their emotions they are stimulated to express themselves and to visualize their ideas way more than I've been doing so. And I find them to be, uh, to have a much uh, more complete world vision than I, than I used to have when I grew up. So interesting. And thanks a lot, Thomas, for putting that in perspective that I started my career in the last century. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite as old as a Greek Didn't need to know that today, did yeah, you, that, Mark? That helped a lot. <laughs> Gave me more history than I deserve. <laughs> and I guess thinking back to the beginnings of your own career, you know, you, you had accounting and business administration and software product management and so forth, you know, and, and maybe that speaks to that you know, sort of data analytical mindset that you had. But, but where did that take you? Was there ever a fork in the road, a crossroads moment where you said, I, I really want to grow beyond this? I always look upon my career as, uh, so far, five distinct periods of seven years. Um, very biblical, perhaps. <laughs> and the first, seven, the first seven years was about financial accounting. Then it was seven years about uh, product management in accounting software. And then it was seven years in uh, uh, trading platforms. And I always say that in the first seven years, I learned what financial reporting is. Then in the following seven years, how to generate financial statements. And in the final seven years, operating exchanges, I learned why you need to be financially accountable. Uh, but like I mentioned just now uh, or earlier, one of my main um, influential experience was the failure of the Kyoto Protocol due to financial crime. And that's when I decided to focus myself on everything that can go wrong in financial processes. But since I was already involved in uh, carbon trading, environmental impact, I broadened my vision from financial uh, return on investment to social return on investment and environmental return on investment and trying to find the balance between those three. And that's, that's been a turning point in my career. In financial crime prevention, I focused on social return on investment because we made the financial industry save a safer place to transact uh, but the nature of that business is changing it, it, 
originally it was all about catching criminals. Then it came about uh, protecting the clients of banks and insurance companies. But currently it's all about protecting banks and insurance companies from receiving fines. And there's, there, there's no honor in that. It's just cover your ass, follow the rules so that the regulator is happy. And there's, there's no impact to be delivered there. So I stepped out and then I thought, what impact is it that I do now? I now want to deliver. And it went, I went back to delivering financial or environmental impact. Mm, so and actually, in, 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 you know, if I look at it uh, in depth, I basically went from catching criminals to catching plastic. Mm-hmm. And which is a criminal. <laughs> well, it. I mean, it's 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 another um, uh, danger for 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 the planet. Um, but I always told people catching criminals is really difficult. But in fact, it's not. It's really easy to find the criminal. The difficult thing is to get the evidence and the case file together um, so that it will hold in court when you bring them up for justice. But catching plastic is that is really complex, especially if you catch it from rivers, because it's not only plastic that flows down the river. There's a lot of other stuff that's also float, floating down the river. And how do you distinguish the plastic from the organic waste or any other waste that you will find from it? Because you need to distinguish those if you want to uh, start sorting, recycle, cycling and adding value to the plastics that you take out of the river. Because you need to also develop a sustainable business model um, for the stakeholders living and responsible for the river itself to become involved. Well, Thomas, what a great discussion. I have a final question for you. But before we uh, leave the ocean cleanup, I want to make sure that listeners know where to find it and learn more about the work. Where's, what's the best place to connect? The best place to connect is at theoceancleanup.com or with uh, the Ocean Cleanup on Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. We've been talking a lot about the passion to clean up the oceans, but you yourself have a passion for being on the water. And uh, yes. wa- water is very important to you and your, uh, I guess, your own enjoyment and your own lifestyle. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. No, that, that's absolutely true. I just mentioned um, um, that my, my grandfather had uh, owned a, um, a, a fishing company. My father was a, was a marine officer. Uh, I grew up on a marina um, and I learned how to sail before I could swim. Um, which I still find difficult to be in the water. I love to be on the water, but I now live there, on a house. There houseboat. is a difference. <laughs> yeah, there is a distinct difference. And it, it, in the ocean cleanup, there are a lot of people who love to dive. My wife even loves to dive. She has her, her petty degree, but I, I went with her down once and it felt really uncomfortable because all my life as a sailor, as a windsurfer, uh, the only thing I tried to do was not fall in the water <laughs> so I, I have this mental uh, blocking that whenever i do go into the water and underneath the water it feels like i'm failing <laughs> mm. well, it's a very strange um, uh, subconscious thing that's yeah. coming over me. well when you're out on the water it gives even more purpose to your job i'm sure absolutely i've seen yeah. i've seen the quality of water change throughout the years and right. nothing is more fulfilling than uh, trying to stop Uh, that and turn it around. Yeah. Well, Thomas, thanks so much for being our guest on the show. We really appreciate your experience, your approach, your attitude towards the work, and we've learned a lot from your practices. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Kirsten, isn't this just the kind of leader? We, we've talked to all industries, all nonprofits, all causes. There does seem to be, I love that we underscored this naivete. You know, <laughs> I, I have a vision and I'm not going to take no for an answer. And I don't care if it's reality or not. That's right. That's right. I mean, Mark, you've been in a career, I'm sure. And you know, that, that rationalization, narrow yourself and focus on one thing because that's the only way you can be successful, right? And, and so it's coming at this with a different approach, right? And I, I remember my first boss, my first CFO when I was the treasurer of a large company said to me, we need you to just focus on one area. I managed 20 departments and I thought you do that, you lose me, you kill me, like <laughs> it won't work. And, and it didn't, it, truthfully, it didn't. I had to go somewhere else. So please be naive and yeah. Pollyannic. There you go. Well, we've been all around the world talking to conscious leaders and we've learned so much about their, like I said before, their knowledge and the experience and their attitudes and their practices. And that's what this podcast is all about. So listeners, thanks again for coming along. Join us again for our next episode where we talk to another conscious leader about their work in developing a better world to live in, both for the planet, the people, and they, you can still make a profit uh, to support those. And that's what this podcast is all about. So for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stinson. You've been listening to Intelliki leadership stories. See you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.